Today on Let the Bible Speak. Excuses, excuses. Today on Let the Bible Speak. morning and welcome to Let the Bible Speak. Today I wish to talk about one of the oldest habits of mankind. We've probably all been guilty of it to some degree or another. It may be common, but it's a sure way to not only fail in life, but to rebel against God and one day miss heaven. Jesus referred to it in one of his parables recorded in Luke chapter 14, beginning in the 16th verse. The scripture says, Then he said to them, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, he being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Well, any preacher can testify to the fact that people haven't changed. Making excuses. Do you raise objections and give reasons why you don't do what the Bible says to do? Do you think you have legitimate reasons for rejecting the truth or rejecting Christ's church? Or are they simply excuses? Our lesson today, excuses, excuses. And I'll return with that after a song. Making excuses is one of the oldest behaviors there is, and it's also one of the most common tendencies of human beings. Making excuse goes all the way back to the first man Adam, when God called him to account for eating of the forbidden fruit. 
Instead of simply admitting his sin with guilt and remorse and immediately correcting his behavior, he pointed at Eve and according to Genesis 3 and verse 12 said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. You know, the word excuse has several shades of meaning. It can mean to make apology or to try to remove blame. It might mean to make an exception or show leniency. An excuse, though, is usually a way of justifying some choice that we have made or that we want to make, or uh, some deed that we commit or a course of action that we pursue. We want to feel good about that and justified in making that decision or doing that thing. If others or even our own conscience expect us to do a thing or behave in a certain way, an excuse is a way of rationalizing our decision to do the opposite. Well, most people don't just outright admit to doing wrong. If they don't want to obey God, most people won't just come out and say that. Instead, they make excuses for not doing what is right. Preachers, elders, church leaders are about like school teachers and employers. We've heard nearly every excuse in the book. Jesus was familiar with people making excuses and he fully expected that many would do just that when given the invitation to enter his kingdom. He likened the gospel invitation to a man who gave a great banquet and invited many to join him. Well, the fact that this man could host a great supper implies that he was a man of some means, some wealth. Most of us would consider an invitation like that a wonderful thing and we would jump at such an invitation. We would be honored by an invitation like that. If some very wealthy person you admired invited you to their mansion to eat, perhaps a king, maybe the governor, or a president, you would not only be honored, you would probably also set aside any other plans as being far less important so that you could attend such a feast. You would like to think that's the way we all would respond to the wonderful grace of God and to heaven's offer to be part of Christ's kingdom. But the Bible foretold, and history has since borne out, that that is not the case. Some will outright reject the gospel, and they'll tell you they're doing so. But I think more people will offer a reason as to why they won't obey the Lord. Throughout my years, I've sat across kitchen tables and in living rooms. And on my years of ministry, I've employed, implored many people to obey the gospel, to be baptized into Christ, to enter His kingdom. And it's been very rare for someone to flatly refuse and say they have no interest, they have no intention of ever doing so. I have invited many people to come hear a gospel sermon in a meeting somewhere. And again, few have had the honesty and the boldness, some have, but few have just plainly said, I will not. I never intend to do that. But instead they delay or they evade by making some excuse as to why they can't write then or why they would be justified in doing the opposite. Perhaps they simply want you to be satisfied, agree with the reason, and leave them alone. Or perhaps they're really convincing themselves that they have a legitimate reason. But really, it's just an excuse. In his parable, Jesus said the master sent out his servant to invite his friends, saying, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, Jesus was using the parable to expose the unbelief of the Jewish leaders of his day, and they were supposed to be the people of God, and if they had known God and knew the Scriptures, they would have recognized the value of this gracious invitation. But 
Instead, in their hardness of heart and in their bias and prejudice and unbelief, they rejected it. Jesus said those first invited made excuses pertaining to their family ties and obligations, their business interests, their day-to-day responsibilities such as work and so forth. But the Master did not accept their excuses, nor, by the way, does Christ accept ours. And so he turned to the most unlikely of people to invite to his banquet. Then the master of the house, it says, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Notice that the excuses made by these three people had to do with three important areas of life. Relationships. One of the men said, I have married a wife and cannot come. That was what the third man said. Two, the acquiring of things. The second man said, I've bought some land and I have to go look it over. And number three, responsibilities. Uh, Man number three said, I've bought some oxen and I need to test them. In other words, to examine them and try them out. You know, marrying a wife is a major event in life. Nobody would deny that. Purchasing property, that's one of the biggest financial investments a person will ever make. And being able to work the land, to make a living, that's very important as well. Nobody would deny that all of these things have their place and are important in their own right. But you see, Jesus considered them all excuses for evading the real issue at hand. And the same is true today. Most excuses that people make for not doing the will of God fit into one of those categories as those three mentioned in the parable. Many, and I do mean many, allow familiar relationships to keep them away from the truth. If the truth comes between them and their spouse, or them and their parents or grandparents, sadly they give priority to to those people instead of doing the will of God. You remember Jesus on another occasion plainly rebuked the one who would put kin or earthly family before the truth. He said, "Uh, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What did he mean by that? He explains, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 37. Jesus wasn't saying that it's wrong to love our family. We should love our family, but blood should not be thicker than water. We should not care more about keeping peace and pleasing our parents or our wife or our husband or our children then we are doing what the Bible teaches. And this can be as seemingly small of a thing as allow worldly family members to keep us away from the worship, to distract us, to keep us from the work of the church, all the way to refusing to give up false doctrine, a false religion, because it's what mom or dad or grandma and grandpa believe. If it was good enough for grandpa, it's good enough for me. That's what a lot of people think about their religion. You know, some of the greatest decisions made for God involve people having to sacrifice some of the most dear relationships on earth with certain friends and family. I think of Ruth back in the Old Testament who had to leave her home in Moab, her family, her friends, her sister-in-law, to follow Naomi out of Moab to the promised land and follow God. 
God opened up the door to a brand new life for her and a wonderful life and a wonderful destiny. But she had to make that decision. She had to leave all these things behind. Now, if they would have gone with her and if they would have followed in her steps and accepted the God of Israel, then perhaps the family could have remained at peace and one and together, but they didn't do that. She left them. She had to leave the religion of her family in order to worship God. Many people have to do that today. I remember baptizing a young man many years ago in a meeting who before we went into the baptistry, he was trembling like a leaf because he had a mom and dad at home who had threatened him that if he became a member of the Lord's church, he would have to find a new place to live. That took great courage. Abraham had to leave the life he knew and the friends he had made in Ur to follow the call of God to go to a new land. Can you imagine the rejection that the Apostle Paul felt when he gave up the religion of his countrymen and his own family to follow Christ? You see, allowing family concerns to hinder us from giving God our all is a very flimsy excuse. And, what, what, and one who makes such an excuse, Jesus said, is not worthy to be his disciple. And then there are possessions. It's not wrong to possess things until things possess us. Things have a place of lower and even minimal importance in our life, but they can quickly become idols. You don't have to bow down and literally worship something for God to consider it an idol. You simply have to give it more of your devotion, love, affection, and concern than you do the kingdom of God, God himself. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I will tell you that if you and I don't seek first the kingdom of God, we won't seek it. It's got to come first and everything else fall into its place. Is that how you approach life? Is that how you approach a relationship with God? You see, we can so clutter our lives with things and stuff that God ends up being left on the outside. He's not going to share his throne with possessions or anything or anybody else. Now, was it wrong for this man to buy and inspect his property? Not at all. But it was wrong for him to allow that to keep him from being where the master of the house invited him to be. It was a poor and inadequate excuse and the same must be said for our responsibilities, like the man who had to go out and test his oxen. You know, I realize we all have day-to-day -day responsibilities. I'm not making light. I'm not setting those aside. A man is required to provide for himself and his family, and if he doesn't, the Bible says he's worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. But listen to me, friend. Listen carefully. Feeding your family, believe it or not, is not as important as feeding your and their souls. You see, it's not that the other's not a responsibility, it's that the spiritual side is your first responsibility. Again, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Well, that takes faith. That takes sometimes great courage. And it doesn't mean that we just sit down and wait for God to rain down manna from the skies and to make our house payment. But it does mean that when we put him doing what is right, seeking his rule, his kingdom, when we put that first, he'll make a way for us. The psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread, Psalm 37, 25. Well, do you have enough faith to believe and trust that or do what is right first? Or are you using what Jesus called cares of this life and daily responsibilities as an excuse for not obeying God? You see, God won't accept that excuse. And it may require a bold step of faith to tell an employer, I won't do this or I won't do that, 
that violates my conscience, or to tell them that as a Christian you have an appointment on the first day of the week to meet with the church and break bread, Acts 27, Hebrews 10 and verse 25. And if you don't make that clear, trust me, they'll make you do whatever they want you to do. If we do not have enough conviction to do that, why should we assume, assume that we have conviction to serve Jesus in even more difficult and uncertain circumstances? No, you see, as important as all of these things are in their own right, they were excuses for failing to do the proper and right thing. And the master of the house said, None of these will taste of my supper. Instead, he said, Go to those who, are desperate, who desperately realize their need and are willing to lay aside the world to seek the eternal. Now then, in our remaining few moments, let's consider some of the other common excuses that people make for not doing the will of God. There are many we might mention, but here's some of the common ones. Some people make the excuse, well, you know, I don't have time. If I just had more time, and we're busy people today, but what are we busy doing? Now, I'll grant you there are those who have to work long and hard hours to make ends meet. But think about what about the 168 hours every single one of us have in each week? Nobody has more hours in a week than anybody else. We all have 168 hours. And my question is, are you giving even a fraction of those to Christ and His church? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'll acknowledge that we find a way to do what we really want to do. And that a lack of time is really just a pitiful excuse for not obeying God. The fact in most cases is we use the majority of our time to keep up a lifestyle, to pursue recreation and entertainment, especially in this pleasure-mad age in which we're living, other temporal concerns. But as Jesus said in the parable of the seed and the sower, these things choke the seed and they deprive us of a spiritual life. And then there's the excuse, well, I don't feel well. I'm just not physically able. Now, I don't want to minimize the suffering and the difficult circumstances that many people today find themselves in. In fact, I'm sure that I'm speaking to people right now who are in a hospital bed or they're in a nursing home. They're truly confined. Uh, they're, they cannot physically do the things that they want to do. And they're like John of old who was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. They simply are not able. But we have to be careful that maladies, aches, pains don't become an excuse to avoid responsibility. And maybe it is that some of us allow aches, pains, and maladies, difficulties, we turn them into spiritual, uh, to turn us into spiritual malingerers. The headache that keeps us from church somehow doesn't keep us from work on Monday. That back or knee pain that keeps us from being involved with the church, that doesn't keep us out of Walmart or away from the theater or the ball game or from other responsibilities in life. Now again, there are people who are legitimately incapacitated. I'm not talking about them. God does not expect us to do more than we physically can do. But God also knows what we truly can and cannot do. And the question is, are you making excuse? I recently held a gospel meeting and a dear older sister I've known for years who had recently had a stroke and brain surgery, she would not be talked out of coming to the church service on the Lord's Day, and none of us really expected her to be there. None of us expected her to be there with all that she had been through. She had recently come home from a long stay in the hospital, but on the Lord's Day, there she was. 
And it was a moving testament to her faith and her determination and her love for Christ and for the church. And the question crossed my mind, what's our excuse? What's your excuse? Now, I'm not you, and I can't necessarily judge your situation, your physical ability or inability, but just always remember that God can. And be careful that you don't merely fall back on an excuse. Quickly, another common excuse people make is to point out the flaws of people in the church. The claim that, well, there are hypocrites in the church, and the church sometimes has shortcomings and even scandal. That's one of the most oft-used excuses for people not obeying God. Oh, I'm just as good as some of those people down there in the church, they say, and morally or as far as your behavior or attitude is concerned, you may be exactly right. But my question is, what good is that? What comfort does that bring? Friend, hypocrites in the church are not a new thing. And be very careful, you could be talking about somebody that repented of their sin, confessed it, forsook it, and they're right with God. And where does that leave you? Still not right with God. You know, Jesus plainly condemned hypocrites in his day. That goes back to the beginning. The apostles exposed and condemned hypocrites in the early church. Some go undetected and live lives other church members don't know anything about, and that, that's a shame. But remember, they'll answer to God for not only their personal sin, but for being a stumbling block to someone else. But that does not give a person a pass with God. In fact, if anybody ever had a right to feel that way, it would have been Jesus himself. You have never encountered hateful and wicked and inconsistent hypocrites any worse than Jesus encountered all throughout his life on earth. But yet he loved the temple. He loved the synagogue. He loved the house of God. He considered it his business to be there. And the Bible says that it was Jesus' regular custom to be found there. I'm not justifying the hypocrite. Jesus taught they will certainly have their reward. But so will you and so will I, my friend, if we allow such an excuse to keep us from doing the will of the Lord. Many years ago, some of the old gospel singing groups used to sing a humorous, lighthearted song. And people would sit in the audience and clap and chuckle and at times laugh and slap their knee as the singers hammed it up with the, well, really corny lyrics and their stage antics. But you know, past the lighthearted approach in the song, a very serious truth was being communicated. Listen, it said, Excuses, excuses, you hear them every day, and the devil, he'll supply them, if from church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep those folks away from church, he offers them excuses. Oh, in the summer it's too hot, in the winter it's too cold. In the springtime, when the weather's just right, well, you find somewhere else to go. Well, it's up to the mountains or down to the beach or to visit some old friend or to just stay home and kind of relax and hope some of the kin folks will start dropping in. Well, the church benches are too hard and they sing way too loud. And boy, you know how nervous you get when you're sitting in a great big crowd. I've heard that excuse, by the way. The doctor told you, now you better watch them crowds, they'll set you back. But you go to that ball game because you say it helps you relax. Well, a headache Sunday morning and a backache Sunday night, but... By work time, Monday morning, you're feeling quite all right. While one of the children has a cold, pneumonia, do you suppose? Why, the whole family had to stay home just to blow that poor kid's nose. Excuses, excuses, you'll hear them every day. And the devil, he'll supply them if, if from church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. Well, the preacher, he's too young. Maybe he's too old. 
The sermons, they're not hard enough, or maybe they're just too bold. His voice is much too quiet-like. Sometimes he gets too loud. He needs to have more dignity, or else he's far too proud. Well, the sermons, they're too long, or maybe they're too short. He ought to preach the word with dignity instead of stomp and snort. Well, that preacher we've got, he must be the world's most stuck-up man. Well, one of the ladies told me the other day, he didn't even shake my hand. Excuses, excuses. You'll hear them every day. And the devil, he'll supply them if from church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep those folks away from church, he offers them excuses. Excuses, excuses. Will you allow excuses to keep you from doing the will of God? Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts, plus extra videos including Let the Bible Speak classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. Connect with us on social media. Go to Facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. Friend, remember God knows our circumstance and He knows our heart. Make sure that you're not making excuses for simply not obeying the Lord. Today, if you'd like to have a copy of our lesson, we'll be glad to send you a free printed transcript. Ask for the lesson, Excuses, Excuses, and we'll get that free copy on its way right away. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to get in touch with us online, ltbstv.org, and also like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel and like and share the videos. We would appreciate that very much. And I hope you'll make your plans next week if the Lord is willing to join me back here for another Bible study. Until then, have a great week, and may God richly bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.